Today, as we continue in our series regarding unity, I want to start by talking about something I think we can all agree on. And here it is. I think we can all agree that this year, 2020, has been unexpectedly crazy in all kinds of different ways. I think we can all agree that it has been wild and unpredictable. We can go all the way back to January and talk about the unexpected and tragic loss of NBA legend Kobe Bryant. There are also locust swarms in East Africa, wildfires in Australia, and even right now, burning large portions of our West Coast. Little did any of us know we were just getting started and had no idea that 2020 would be a year remembered by a pandemic, riots, and division. On the lighter side of things, there have been murder hornets, or, or not, that they never really arrived, did they? There's been Tiger Kings. The Pentagon even released UFO videos and no one seemed to notice. And even our beloved Orioles somehow won 20 games. Even in a year of the unexpected, let me share something with you that may have been the most unexpected of it all. Recently, I was sitting down at a restaurant and the table next to me were two people whose conversation led to many of the loaded topics in today's world. They're talking about politics. Now, I was doing everything I could to try and stay concentrated on my friend at our table who was in the middle of a story. While my eyes remained focused on him, my ears were attentive to what I thought would surely be tension at the table next to us. As the two conversed about politics, it became apparent that they had strikingly different views. One was clearly a passionate Republican, and the other a very fervent Democrat. It would be just a matter of minutes until they imploded. I kept listening and found myself even starting to tense up a little bit as I waited and listened for the train wreck. I waited and waited and waited, but something unexpected happened. While talking about things which they clearly disagreed on, they were polar opposites. These two individuals agreed to disagree. They shared their opinions respectfully, even through disagreement, and then just moved on to discuss things like how the kids were faring with virtual learning. I admit, I felt a little let down because what's better than dinner and a show? But what I witnessed was remarkably rare. Two people with differing worldviews, differing opinions, disagreeing peaceably. In the year of the unexpected, that is so 2020. Now, sadly, we live in a world where kind, caring, loving, even Christ-centered individuals have lost the ability to agree to disagree and go on doing life together. Whether online or in person, what we have grown to see is quite the opposite. People tearing one another down, using words to cut them to the core, even at times allowing our temper to ruin our day. All because we have a different opinion than someone else. We simply disagree and we can't handle it anymore. As our Connections Pastor Virgil would say, we have lost the ability to disagree agreeably. And a willingness to keep the peace even through disagreement is something we could all use a lesson on or a reminder of, either for ourselves or even to pass along to someone we know. But you and I, as people of faith, we must not rely solely on unique tactics and strategies in disagreement. No, we must rely on God's word for us to be the example and to experience the peace of God as we do life with people who don't see life like we do. We need to live with the type of unity that God desires for us. So in today's teaching, I want to give you a few things that I believe will help guide us in our days, keep us sane in a crazy world, and show us how we can live among people we disagree with without ruining our day or theirs. So the first thing I think you need to remember is that you aren't perfect, I'm not either, but you aren't perfect and and others aren't as well. You aren't perfect and others aren't as well. 
Now, that shouldn't give us an excuse for how we or others behave, but that truth should change our expectations of others and even ourselves. And let me tell you a little bit about myself. I try not to eat fast food anymore, although Taco Bell still has my number. But if I were to roll up to McDonald's, let's say, and and order a McRib, which I've been known to do, I know what I'm getting, right? I'm getting 480 calories, 890 milligrams of sodium and some restructured mystery meat for roughly $4. I don't expect that I'm going to bite into a McRib and be blown away. The bar is very low, so I adjust my expectations to avoid disappointment. I don't expect too much satisfaction from the McDonald's rib because I I know it falls well short of perfection. But let me tell you what I do love. There's a place not too far from, from here at church called Brookside Market, and they hands down have the best ribs I've ever had in my life. Now be warned, they are about five times more expensive than the McRib, but my goodness, do they exceed my expectations every single time. So why do I tell you this? Not because I want you to think of getting me ribs next time you're at Brookside Market, although, my goodness, what a Christian thing to do. I tell you this because I believe we need to realize when it comes to you and me, when it comes to other people in the world, we're all a little more McDonald's than we are Brookside Market. We, we are flawed, messy, imperfect people who aren't always going to satisfy or agree with one another. It's just not going to happen. Last week during our communion time, I highlighted a verse from Romans that I want to point out again in today's teaching because of its relevance. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which tells us, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Another translation says, we are utterly incapable of meeting perfection, which is God's standard. When we grasp that you and I aren't perfect and others aren't as well, I think we start to change our expectations and not become as grossly impassioned in disagreement because we know what's going to happen. It's an aspect of life that we can readily accept, but not become obsessed with or defeated from. I'm not saying that you expect less from people, but maybe stop expecting perfection from them. Maybe stop being shocked when they don't live up to that standard, because you're not either, and neither will I. And later on in that same letter, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, and he states something I think we can all identify with. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I believe we all identify with Paul to a certain extent here, because We often decide to to try and really live one way, and then for varying reasons, we act another. The point being that we can't even agree with ourselves half the time and are often in disagreement between who we want to be and who we actually are and the things we actually do. So if we can't always agree with ourselves, then maybe we shouldn't be too shocked and even show people a lot of grace while we live with those we don't see eye to eye with. Now, let me give you another thing. I think another idea we'd be wise to grasp if we want to be able to live among people we disagree with is to learn how to get upset about the right things. And by right things, I mean we need to learn to get upset about the things God gets upset about. As God's children, we are tasked with being about our Father's business. And from my own personal perspective and my worldview, I think Christians are struggling to get this right. I think we're struggling right here. This can be incredibly difficult. I get it. It's difficult in a politically charged culture where everyone is pressed to formulate their opinion, their stance, and dig their heels in on so many hot topic items. It's becoming too easy for the world to set us on fire in regards to their agenda 
and easily distract us from what we should be most concerned about, which is bringing God's kingdom, his love, and his peace right here into this divided world. And certainly there will be times as we go about God's business when we find ourselves at a point of needing to confront and speak into what is happening in the world. Still, we have to make sure that we are doing so on on the solid foundation of God's truth and, and not the slippery slope of our own opinion. If we're going to live among people we disagree with, then we need to get better at being upset about the things that God's upset about. There's a fantastic example in scripture, specifically Acts chapter 5, where the early church was was gathering and loving on their community as they should. But as we navigate through chapter 5 and chapter 6 starts, we read this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. To maybe put a little more skin on this, make it more real to us, we have to understand that widows had no governmental or cultural assistance in the ancient Middle East. They wouldn't have a chance to survive at all unless they had family members willing to take care of them. The fact that the church was involved in this process likely means that the widows affected were left independently without any family caretakers. To add a further layer of detail, The Greek-speaking believers and the Hebrew-speaking believers also came from incredibly different lands and thus different cultural backgrounds. But they all seemed to just take those differences and set them aside, pursue unity, and go about God's business in this world. And they were trying to love on anybody who had nobody to look out for them. Now, God is certainly, he was and he still is, in the business of taking care of widows and orphans and others who couldn't take care of themselves, such as stated repeatedly in the Bible. The whole point of this disagreement, though, was that one group felt that some people were not being taken care of or loved as well as God desired. My goodness, that is worth disagreeing over, loving people better. But their disagreement didn't lead to division. It led to a solution where more people were loved. We read, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. And everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. And it says he was an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. You see, when God's people go about God's business in this world, our message of hope, our message of love, and our message of grace will continue to spread in miraculous ways. We certainly cannot live in our world with indifference, but still we need to get upset about the things that God gets upset about because there's just too much emotional and mental energy that we expend on things that honestly just don't make a lick of difference in this world. Years ago, a large statue of Christ was erected high in the Andes on the border between Argentina and Chile. It's called Christ of the Andes. And this statue symbolizes a pledge between the two countries uh, that there will be peace between Chile and Argentina as long as the statue stands. 
Now, shortly after the statue was erected, the Chileans began to protest that they had been slighted. They were so upset and up in arms because, well, they got Jesus' backside. The statue's face, Jesus' face, was facing Argentina. And just when tempers were at their highest in Chile, a Chilean newspaper saved the day. In an editorial that not only satisfied the people, but it made them laugh a little bit. He simply wrote, the people of Argentina need more watching over them than the Chileans. <laughs> Some things aren't worth getting upset about, especially if it's things that God doesn't get upset about. So what does God get upset about? Well, scripture tells us a few specific things. The book of Proverbs in the beginning of this makes me chuckle. The author says, there are six things the Lord hates. No seven things he detests because there wasn't a delete button back in the day. But, but here they are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Now, certainly there are more than just six. I mean, seven things that God gets upset about, but it's a good starting point for us. And we also have to keep in mind that you and I are to reflect on God and Christ's character if we are to go about their business in the world. And we know that they are righteous and, and holy, which means that we need to be upset about unrighteousness in the world. We need to be upset about injustice in the world and be healers of hope and hope bringers to the world. That's God's business, and, it's, and it always has been, but especially as this year rolls on, we'll have to be diligent in our conversations, and especially if you use social media, to make sure we are going about God's business in this world and not getting distracted by the things of the world. Another thing you will want to make a priority if you are to live peaceably among people you disagree with is praying over your thoughts. We, we have to pray over our thoughts. You've already heard a few times that disagreement doesn't have to lead to division in this series. I believe the church should be the living, breathing example of this in a world that just can't figure it out. But as we disagree with others in the world and, and even our church family at times because of all of our beautiful differences and opinions, I think we have to check and reflect on our hearts and pray over our thoughts. Because sometimes we aren't always right. And even when we are and someone else is wrong, it doesn't mean that we need to let those thoughts linger. Linger. It will be nearly impossible to disagree peaceably if you let the thoughts on a disagreement dominate your mind. Consider scriptures such as Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, his second letter, he writes, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Or consider these words from the prophet and the book of Isaiah. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. If we want to be able to live peacefully among people we disagree with, then we are going to have to pursue peace in our minds, which may only come when we continually pray over our thoughts and willingly hand them over to God. And then last, but, but certainly not least, 
Don't let your anger lead to sin. Don't let your anger lead to sin. Now, I've gotten better at it over the years, but still, I am someone who can allow people I disagree with to have way too much space in my head, to the point it'll keep me up at night and cause me to look at all of life with a glass half-empty perspective. But then I'm confronted with Scripture, especially this Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 tell us, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And I sincerely appreciate the practicality of this text because it reminds me that anger is not a sin, but how we use that anger determines whether it is sinful or not. As we mentioned with the early church and characteristics of God and Christ, righteous anger at the world's injustice can be productive. But more often than not, when that anger comes from disagreement, it's because of our selfish interest, our pride, or our desire to be seen as, as right and make sure the other person knows they're wrong. So we need to pray over our thoughts, whether we think we are right or know we are wrong, and don't let the sun go down on our anger. Unaddressed anger takes, takes root and it leads to, to years of bitterness. Paul calls it a foothold for the devil. So don't let him use your mind as his playground. Don't allow anyone other than Christ to have that kind of power over your mind. Because anger and bitterness, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a challenging hole to dig out of. It's so hard to go about God's business when you refuse to handle your own. Trying to live peaceably among people you disagree with can feel a lot like walking in a minefield, waiting for the next explosion about this or that, whatever it is. But still, we have to remember what Christ told us to focus on every single day of our life. In the book of Luke, he didn't mince words when he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, in a clarify in stating this, Jesus didn't mean that we all must willingly live under the burden of something we have come to accept in our lives, whether it's a lousy relationship, a terrible job, loneliness, whatever it is. You often hear people defeatedly say, well, I guess this situation is just my cross to bear. Well, that's not what Jesus meant when he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. He didn't mean to, that you should accept a miserable life when he came to give us life to the fullest. What Jesus is doing here is, is referencing that he had to literally carry his cross to Golgotha, the place where he would be nailed to it and die on it. He had to give up his life for us. So when Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily and, and follow him, he's calling us to be people who wake up and put to death our way of living, put to death the way the world wants us to live, put to rest all the things that vie for our attention that are not about his business. And that, my friends, is the only way that we will be able to live peaceably among people we disagree with by loving and respecting them, no matter how they think, but most importantly, allowing our focus to be centered on, on Christ, who he called us to be in this world, and how he is calling us to change this world.